102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. If you believe in ending the homeless crisis by empowering them to have jobs and support rather than funding them to stay where they are, then you'll be interested in hearing how it's being accomplished by the organization BEAM. Today I'm talking with Alex Stephanie, CEO of BEAM. BEAM is a crowdfunding platform that focuses on creating training and support for the homeless to empower them to transcend their current situation rather than keep them where they are with subsidies. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Alex. Thank you for having me. Tell us how you got involved with solving the homeless crisis. So originally my background was um, running tech companies and um, homelessness was something that had always uh, worried me a lot, concerned me a lot. Um, It always struck me as kind of unfathomable that a pro- the problem should be this big in a, in a city and as wealthy as London and a country as wealthy as the UK. I didn't know what to do about it. Kind of everything got started with Beam about three years ago now when I became friends with this homeless guy who would sit every day outside my local train station. And he would just sit there on the concrete steps uh, day after day. And I walked past this guy a bunch of times. I'm certainly no saint. But one day, uh, we actually met eyes and I thought, well, look, I'm going to speak to this guy and say hello at least. He told me that he'd been out of work longer than he could remember. He was an Irish guy, mid-40s. He told me he would sit there because there was CCTV and that made it less likely that he would be beaten up. And uh, we became friends over the course of a few months. I would bring him cups of coffee, pairs of socks when it was getting cold. At one point, um, he actually disappeared, though, for about a month. Um, when he reappeared, he looked totally different. His, his sort of big, bushy beard had gone. And he just looked terrible, actually. He looked maybe 10 or 15 years older. And so I went up to him, and I, I actually barely recognized him, but I said, what's happened? Where have you been? And he goes, oh, I've been, been in the hospital. I, uh, I had a heart attack. You know, we speak, and then I, I walk home to my apartment, and I'm just thinking, wow, this, is, this sucks. This is terrible. I've been trying to help this guy. But not only, not only have I failed to help him, he's actually in a much worse position than when we first met. And what does this guy really need? Now, what he really needs is, is not another cup of coffee. What he really needs is the skills, the support, the confidence to get back into work so he can provide for himself. And I thought, well, look, that's going to cost a lot more than a cup of coffee. But what if we all chip in? What if we could actually crowdfund everything that this guy needs in order to progress back into work? And what if we can provide him with all of the support that he needs to make that journey? I knew a bit about crowdfunding because I worked in technology and I'd run a company um, that actually did the largest ever crowdfunding round for a tech company. So I thought, look, I understand this model. Maybe we can use it in this new context. And that was the kind of initial like, kernel of the idea. Yeah, and then I started looking much more at the problem and we played around with the idea and it turns out that it, that it works incredibly well. What have you learned about homelessness? I guess after having that experience, the, the sort of the next thing I did really was to just learn as much as I could about this issue, um, reading a lot, but also meeting people who um, were experiencing homelessness in different ways. 
meeting people who worked uh, in homelessness on profits and social enterprises. And I think the big, big thing that hit me was the extent to which homelessness is hidden. Here in the UK, um, like in New York City, homeless people have the right to shelter. So therefore, what we see on the streets, tragic as that is, is really just the tip of the iceberg of homelessness. So for every one person in, in London that we see on the streets, there are more than 30 people in homeless hostels, women's refuges, um, and there are an unknown number of people who are hidden homeless people. Actually, I realized quickly then that there was this much, much larger group of people who had some basic stability in their life. They had a bed, they could charge a phone, they could take a shower, but had terrible opportunities economically. And I looked at the number of people who were in sheltered accommodation and the numbers seemed to be rising, even though, and this is you know before the pandemic, even though unemployment was actually trending lower. And I thought, something's really broken here. We are really not great at creating equality of opportunity for, in the UK, 300,000 or so people who are living in hostels and, and refuges. And you do need to have an address or and contact information in order to apply for a job. Yeah, you do most of the time. So therefore, it's really important that we can make the most of the stability that people have in that context and that they can start uh, really taking control of their destiny and earning money because at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're big believers in the fact that on a very, very fundamental level, people need, people need money in their pocket. And it's very hard for anyone to be happy, to experience, you know, freedom and relaxation and joy and love and all of these things if they just don't have any money in their pocket. That's just like a fundamental need. To not have money in your pocket is, uh, impoverishes your life in, in, in every way beyond the material. Well, it's more than having money because they could pay you to stay where you are, right? Instead of giving you skills, they just give you some money so that you can survive. So what intrigued me about your model is about giving them skills so that they can keep on thriving rather than wait for the next handout from somebody or somewhere. Exactly. So maybe I can explain to your listeners how the model works. What happened, I guess, after I had that experience of seeing that homeless guy on uh, on the steps of my local train station was one of the uh, nonprofits who I was getting to know said to me, you should go meet this guy called Tony. He lives in a hostel and he wants to become an electrician. So I say, fantastic. And then off I go to meet Tony, go into his sort of dingy, pretty depressing homeless hostel in South London. And I say, my name's Alex. I'm starting a new website called Beam. And we're going to raise money for people who are homeless to get new skills. And we're going to help you get into new jobs. And he kind of listens to it. He has actually only one question for me that day. He goes, I don't get it. Um, I say, what don't you get? He goes, why would anyone help me? And I say, well, look, I actually think people really care about people like you. And I think we're going to see that. And so then what happened after that was we went and we went to this uh, electrician training center. We put Tony on our website with all of the all of the different things that he needed on his campaign. He needed electrician training, he needed tools, he needed textbooks, he needed transport costs. We then uh, picked up the phone to some journalists, it became a big news story. The public like rose to the occasion in the most moving way. They funded his campaign in, in like a matter of a couple of weeks, I think it was. Tony went to his training center, 
He got his qualification. He got a job working on building sites in London as an electrician. He moved into his own home and was really sort of reunited with his family. And his life was just immeasurably better. After 20 years out of work, a life of drug addiction, alcoholism, in and out of prison, and, and all these other issues. And so that was the first person we helped. And the way the model works today is much like then, we take referrals of individuals from more than 40 nonprofits, and we also work extensively with, with government partners in the UK. Um, we understand the risk issues in their life, we plan their career. We raise the money that they need in order to get trained and into that job on beam.org. And then their caseworker gives them this one-to-one -one support that they need to help them through the training into their work and make sure that they're settled in their work and we provide six months of in-work support. And the public have a really, really key role in this model because they are funding individuals on the platform. We have a kind of smart little algorithm that ensures that all the donations are actually moved around between the, the, the people using the platform so every single person gets the funding that they need. But I think more than just the money, what's so important is the public's role in building people's confidence. People are getting dozens of messages from strangers and that's so, so powerful in, in boosting their confidence and, and helping people to believe in themselves. Because by the time people are referred to us, they're often so, so beaten up and they've just forgotten that their life has value. Connecting them with people who care and who show that they care through sending caring messages is, is a really, really different and I think valuable part of the model. Which is how social media should work. Yeah, I mean, we think so. Uh, it, it's got something in common with social media because we have a news feed, which um, any of your listeners can go to. It's beam.org forward slash news. And that shows updates of all of the people using the platform and it's got you know people getting trained messages from people when they're doing their starting their new jobs all of these different updates um as people kind of really get value from sharing their journey i think that there's a lot of uh, obviously social media has been very polarizing in many ways very divisive and there's a lot of hate and anger and trolling and all sorts of nasty things that i think have you know, spoiled the social media dream, if you like, uh, to say the least. But actually, yeah, social media can, at its best, connect people for mutual value in a way that is really, really positive and life-affirming. Actually, we've, we've got the good bits in Beam. Beam, then, it's a platform that crowdfunds for their training, and it also supports them through having that communication through having a community online? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a pretty good way to describe it. So, I mean, if you go to beam.org at the moment, you can see people who are using the platform to pursue their career goals. So I'm looking now at Reese, who is using Beam to become a plumber, or Francis, who's using Beam to become a digital marketer. So I can click on Francis. I can see a photo of him. I can read Francis's story. So a big part of Beam is giving people who've been quite marginalized and disenfranchised a voice, letting them tell their story in their own words. So Francis's story starts being able to provide for my family and knowing they're taken care of is very important to me. I also love developing my skills and career progression is always on my mind. When these two things align, I'm happiest. And then he goes on to talk about himself and his story. There's a supporter section, which, as I mentioned, is where people are sending messages of support and encouragement. Someone called Diana, very happy 2021, best of luck with your new career, all the best Francis from someone called Alex, 
Eduardo, I hope you find a stable job in digital marketing and that you push onwards through all that might stand in your way. Dozens and dozens of lovely messages. Then there is a budget, and that um, includes the cost of Francis's digital marketing course, cost of a laptop, cost of travel uh, and work clothes. And then there are updates from Francis um, that he's sharing um, with, the, with the public. There is a campaign timeline. Um, and then there's more information about his campaign. So the organization that referred him, which is a UK-based homelessness charity, and then the caseworker at Beam, um, who is um, someone called Sophie, who is one of our team here. It sounds like for the platform to scale over time, though, you constantly have to bring in new funders. Yeah, we do have to bring in new funders, but it's, I think, happening uh, you know, pretty quickly and organically because uh, of a few different reasons. I think first people love the efficiency. So we have what we call a 100% giving model. So all of the donation is actually funding people's financial barriers. We don't hand out cash, but we use 100 pennies in the pound or cents in the dollar to purchase the things that someone needs. So that's just a very, very different approach um, to a traditional nonprofit, which is obviously predominantly paying for salaries, rent, marketing with, with people's donations. I think another huge part of it is the transparency. So people being able to see exactly where their money's gone. And then I think an important emotional part of it is actually being able to have this one-to-one connection with people. People really crave, you know, actually when you have a relationship with a cause, whether it's homelessness or cancer or whatever it is, you, know, you care about the people that that nonprofit exists to serve. And I think being able to connect with them is really, really powerful. So today with no money on marketing, with no one in the team working on marketing, we've now done um, about 50,000 donations through the platform. Hopefully it'll be of interest to some of your listeners in San Francisco and elsewhere around the world. And, um, you know, please feel free to join this community. We'd love to have you. You just need to donate at beam.org. We don't even need to donate. You can just leave a nice message if you're short of money or you want to get to know how the platform works. That sounds great. How do you deliver the training that they need? Is it you pay an organization that then trains them or who do the training and then they have to show up for it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we don't train people ourselves. All of the training is provided by third parties. What's the success rate? They do all show up for the training? Or what does your success rate look like in terms of paying for that training for them to show up, get through the training and actually get a job? Yeah, so just under 80% of people get a job. So almost 100% of people will show up for training. And there's quite a lot of you know, time and effort people need to put in before um, any money is spent on them. You know, it will occasionally happen that someone will leave the platform. Um, usually that is because they have some kind of drug or alcohol relapse. But you know, people are committed to doing this and the opportunities are, are really excellent. And people don't want to screw it up fundamentally. So I don't know what things are like in the US, but in the UK, if you are... You know, really disadvantaged and, and, and really poor, you're not going to have that many great options or any great options available to you. Whereas here, we're offering people really, really exciting opportunities and they want to make the most of them. So I think traditionally the way we've dealt with, you know, dealt in inverted commas with individuals who are sort of disadvantaged and long-term unemployed has been kind of a lot of stick and not that much carrot. And I don't think that's the right way of solving these problems. Ultimately, and people respond better to carrots than sticks. doesn't mean you, you don't need any stick, but Beam is overwhelmingly carrot. And I think if, you, if people understand what's in it for them, you know, their inherent motivation can be really, really strong. 
What about the support in terms of community and other personal needs? Is that something that BEAM also helps to fund? The community comes from people's supporters. Um, so on average, people have about 250 supporters who are strangers who are funding their campaign and sending positive messages. Um, but people also provide support to each other as well. So um, people can see if you're becoming, let's say, a bricklayer on beam.org, you can see the other people who have used beam.org to become a bricklayer. And you can actually communicate with them and um, encourage them as well. So that's a kind of inner community of, of sort of peer support, as it's sometimes called. And it's you know, so, so crucial, obviously, that you know, if you're using this sort of service, then you, know, you realize that you're not alone and that there are other people who are in a you know, really similar position to you. And, you know, one of the things that I used to do when I was sort of going into homeless hostels is they would look at me and go, who is this guy? You know, what does he know about my situation? And sometimes I would just read a story off of the website of someone who was similar to the people in the room. And it was fascinating. You would just, people would just fall silent and listen so intently to these stories. And then at the end, people would have a whole load of questions because you know, it's, it, it meant a lot to them to see someone like themselves really, really succeeding because a lot of people, you know, a lot of the people that we're working with or a lot of the people in similar positions have given up hope. And that's really sad. And our job on the most fundamental level is to give people hope. The caseworkers, are they tied to the nonprofit organizations in London? Because I'm not clear that we have caseworkers for the homeless here. Sure. So yeah, nonprofits in in the UK, homelessness nonprofits will have caseworkers. We also have our own caseworkers. So a caseworker at a nonprofit or a caseworker at a government body would refer someone to us. Uh, and then that person would have a beam caseworker who would be their sort of single point of contact um, throughout the journey. So the multiple layer scaffolding is what really makes us work for them in terms of moving them to the next level. Yeah. What do you think beam can evolve to over time? Well, I think we can be serving people all over the world. And I think we can be um, serving all kinds of other different disadvantaged groups. For example, people who are leaving prison, people with mental and physical disabilities, refugees, uh, people leaving care, among others. You know, ultimately, I think in five years' time, BEAM will be known as an incredibly effective model that is creating a quality of opportunity in, the city, in cities around the world where we operate. Do you feel that you understand how to tackle the roots of homelessness now? You know, whether it's tied to prior abuse, lack of support or addiction issues. Do you think that's like something that you feel that it's possible to address? Because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with, right? Is that it's very hard to address these deep rooted issues. So I think it's important to make the distinction between causes and triggers. There's an awful lot of focus on triggers of homelessness. And those things might be abuse or addiction or someone's bereavement or eviction or many, many other things. And of course, we need to invest money in, in supporting people who've been through these things. And, you know, we need to have organizations that are specialized in doing that. But if we actually look at the root causes of homelessness, then it kind of comes earlier. You know, it's what, what, what makes someone vulnerable to those shocks to the point where someone could become homeless quite easily. And if you look at the root causes, then really it comes down to two things. You know, the first is a lack of training or education that creates a real resilience. 
And the second is a lack of support networks, friends, family, colleagues, that again creates resilience. And we think about those two things, training and support networks as um, scaffolding. And that scaffolding gives people that strength, that ability to withstand shocks. And the really, I think, very interesting thing about the crowdfunding model is it's delivering both those elements of the scaffolding at the same time because we're crowdfunding the training, but we're also giving people these new support networks from the people who fund their campaigns. There are people who just don't want to see or deal with the homelessness anymore. They're just worn down by the sight of it. You have talked about the power of optimism. Can you describe how it's transcended the challenge of solving homelessness? Yeah, I mean, my hunch is that a lot of people have just given up on this problem. They just think it will never be solved, it can't be solved. And that really... I find that very depressing because in the same city, you have incredibly ambitious, idealistic people who think they can solve pretty much every other problem. People civilizing you know, Mars in 15 years time, but they can't actually solve homelessness outside their office. Um, and so I find that kind of upsetting, depressing and unnecessary. My view on this is actually technology and data needs to be in part of a solution to this problem in a way that it hasn't been historically. People working in the tech community, you know, at massive tech companies and at smaller tech companies need to kind of own these problems. And it's not enough to go, we're gonna make loads of money and we're going to just give some small part of it to this issue. Homelessness is a complicated problem and like any other complicated problem, whether it's um, urban logistics or cancer diagnosis, it requires technology and data to solve. The reason to be optimistic is there's a lot of those functional skills. Uh, hopefully what will happen is some of those skills will begun, be, will begin to be applied to solving social problems um, like homelessness. Homelessness is a problem that will be, that will be solved um, and it will be solved much faster than most people expect. And the way it will be solved is the way that most hard problems get solved, which is a small group of super passionate people roll up their sleeves and decide to dedicate their lives to solving it. But I'm absolutely bullish that, that it's a problem that's uh, solvable. So it's interesting you say that. I think what's happened here is there's been so much money contributed to address this issue, and people are feeling like they're not really seeing that difference. It sounds like it needs to be addressed at the grassroots level, where people really do engage on a community level as to what can be done versus just throw money into big theoretical projects? I mean, a big part of it is, is, is entrepreneurs. And money's not enough. And if, you, if you're not spending the money on the right things, you're not using the right technology, you're not really building the right products, then you're not going to have leverage on that capital. It's not going to make a big impact. And so for me, that's a missing piece at the moment. What I would really be excited to see is you know, more entrepreneurs sort of stepping up and solving this problem, whether that's independently or whether that's um, you know, working with Beam to, to be part of the solution to homelessness in, in the Bay Area or elsewhere. We, we would certainly like to be there at some point. We'd like to be everywhere at some point. Thank you for sharing your experiences with the homelessness and solving that problem in London. Hopefully we can do the same here. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Alex. Thank you so much for having me.